Hello, podcast fans. I'm Dr. Frances McGarry, the host of First Online with Friends is No Place Like Art. Yes, I earned a PhD at NYU in the program of educational theater and like Dr. Jill Biden, embrace this achievement with pride and conviction. It has set the course of my mission to raise awareness of the vital importance of the arts, especially during times of crisis. Who would have imagined the capital of the United States being stormed by a mob of domestic terrorists? Who would imagine that the people's house would be desecrated by those whose intent was to wreak chaos and commit acts of destruction in the name of patriotism? How do we tap into those voices, all voices who desperately need to tell their story? My guests today, playwright Gary Morgenstein and director Joan Kane, are going to talk about their new production of A Black and White Cookie. The play takes place during the pandemic. The two characters, Harold Wilson, a gruff, conservative African-American senior, forms an unlikely friendship with Albie Sands, an eccentric 1960s Jewish radical. Though Broadway and theaters across the country might be shuttered, the arts continue to speak their mantra. What the world needs now more than ever is love and understanding, faith in ourselves and each other. Welcome, Joan and Gary. Thank you for having us. Hello, friend. Hi, Joan. Hi, Gary. Here we come. So let's start. You said that a black and white cookie is a story of overcoming hate, finding faith, and fighting back. How do plays offer opportunities to experience art reflecting light, life and life reflecting art? How have plays evolved over the course of the pandemic to heighten the awareness of the human condition? Is that for me? Should I go? You can both speak whenever you want. <laughs> I'm going to let Joan take that first one. Okay, so Fran, just to make sure that everybody understands that Cookie doesn't take place during the pandemic, but after the pandemic. Uh So the characters are actually, they've been through the pandemic and that's the weight that sits on their shoulders. But to answer your question about why is art so important right now, I really think it's not enough for us to just do plays on Zoom. We also have to thrive. And one of the ways we thrive is by telling stories that actually show us our shared humanity. And that's what happens with and to the characters in Cookie. They basically overcome their prejudices, their racism, their sense of isolation and division to come together and have a shared humanity, to come together and understand that the people with needs and dreams and cares, that I really, I really want to emphasize that by telling that story, by telling the story of these two characters, I really think that the mirror will be shown, it will be brought right here to us and we'll say, I know about this. Look at America today. We're so divided. We're so fractured. And yes, we can overcome it. But it has to be done in such a way where we listen to each other. And that happens in Cookie. So 
I think that through stories, we share our loves, our hates, our biases. And by sharing them, we understand by acknowledging it. It's like opening up this suitcase and looking at all the dirty laundry. You can't cure it. You can't heal it until you look at it. And Cookie, to a certain extent, does that. Now, it does it with humor. It does it with these really well-developed, nuanced characters. Yeah. And yeah, you know, Gary, how does the teamwork, how does that coalesce between you and Joan to get the message out that you want to have happen? Well, I'm lucky because I have a wonderful director. and I, <laughs> That she is. I, it, yes, and it's I write novels as well, but the beauty of theater when it works, is working with people you respect and people you trust. And so as we were nearing this new production, because we were supposed to open the end of March 26th, actually, 2020, Man Plans, God Laughs. And, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, good luck with that. And Joan said, you should take a look at your script because you're going to have to address, excuse me, you're going to have to address the pandemic. And so what I did, and that was, it was brilliant. For You know, I only grumbled a little bit. And I moaned and I said, oh, meh, meh, meh. I know the feeling, Gary. I've been directed by Joan. <laughs> so, but what I did is I, as Joan said, I laid in the pandemic without really changing the story per se, but addressing New York City and America, frankly, as we start coming into the light, if it is, it, how much of a light it's going to be. So, for example, in the original script, Harold Wilson who's a very no-nonsense African-American in his late 60s, you know, think Ozzie Davis. He has to close his newsstand in the East Village because of an exorbitant rent increase. In the new draft, he survives the pandemic. He pays up. He reopens, and then he gets walloped. So it's that extra element. And we also look at this, uh, the instance of, of prejudice in this story is modern anti-Semitism. And it's from, from Harold and his um, niece, Roslyn, because I didn't want to address anti-Semitism from the perspective of white supremacists and Nazis, because when you do good versus evil, that's melodrama, okay? When you do good versus good, that's true drama. And to me, the important aspect of addressing hatred and the divis divisiveness that we face in this country, and every all, all nations do, unfortunately, America seems to be in the epicenter of it, is it's the good people who you have to deal with and understand and understand why good people have prejudiced views. And you can't embrace them. You can't ever excuse them, no matter who they are, no matter who it's directed against. But we, unless we understand why hatred comes, we can never fight it. And in this case, the irony is that they're prejudiced against Jews, but Albie Sands is a communist. He has no Jewish identity. And that's kind of, you know, the trope of the play, part of it to intersect here, intersect here, and Harold is a Republican. He's yeah. a very, who is an African-American Republican, and they address this. Harold says, what do you think? Because I'm Black, I can't be a Republican? Yeah. That's Donald Trump calling now to protest. I'm I mean. sorry about this, guys. I'm so sorry. This, this is all what it's all about. Gary, I've worked with you, and what is it that happens when an actor gets into this whole circle? I, I never had the chance to talk with you about that. How does what you see and hear as a playwright and Joan as a director 
include the actor in this process? Well, it's the most exhilarating thing. Again, when you write novels, the character is the character, and everyone is going to envision a, a character in a novel a different way, but that's entirely up to you. That That's not dependent on a director, a producer, an actor. But the beauty of theater is that an actor takes it and they discover different backstories and different layers and they bring things to it and you go, oh boy, that's wonderful. I'm really a genius, aren't I? That I <laughs> explored that. And that's the beauty. And then working with a wonderful director like Joan. So the collaborative process is just so wonderful for a writer to see how it develops. And look, everyone here has been in productions where it wasn't wonderful, where you said, oh, my God, I'm never going to work in theater again. Right. But I've been fortunate and blessed in, in this respect. Well, well, for me, working with an actor, I start off with it. You know, I come to the process just a little bit ahead of the actor, just a little bit. First, I work with the author. Gary, and I'm really lucky to work with Gary because his plays are so solid and so well-developed that I don't have to do a lot of dramaturgy. I just get in and do the work with the play and developing the characters and the situation and creating the world. And then the actor comes in and I feel like what I'm doing with the actor, we're collaborating. We both have ideas about who this character is. And then we slowly develop those ideas. And then I have to very gently remove myself because then the actor becomes the expert of that character. The actor is living and breathing and emanating who this character is. And I think it's very important for a director to, and an author too, to step aside and say, okay, do you think baby, do you think, you know, it's, you then become this cheerleader after the collaboration and I think that that's the way you make a really successful production is really honoring the creatives that you work with, the people that you work with. And you know what? You're making a really important point for those of us who don't know what that artistic process is like. And when you get to the core of that character, when you get to the essence of the major dramatic question, what is happening in this play? What is happening this day, in this moment, present, that hasn't happened before, the help of a good director, that passion, it can transcend to a Zoom production. And we experience that in Survival is Insufficient. Mm-hmm. That was, oh, no, actually, no, we did it the, for the first time with Gary's play, uh, the tomato play. Yeah, tomato can't grow in, grow in the Bronx. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was a brave new world, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> it was the first time we were all doing Zoom. Francis, to, to your point, a writer also is always discovering things in the character. And every writer will say this, and I know it sounds very precious and trippy, but sometimes the characters take over as well. So if you're a writer who can step out of his own ego and let his characters take over, then you have the, the ability to step out of the way and let your actors take over and not flinch and not say, what, why are you reading it like this? No, that's their job. Let them do it. Mm -hmm. I also feel that I think one of the bravest things to do is to be an actor. Yeah. It's also one of the most vulnerable and the most terrifying. You're in front of an audience, you're bearing your soul, you're living this character and it's live and everybody makes a mistake. You know, everybody's going to have a mistake happen and you have to 
feel that terror of maybe making a mistake, whatever that may mean, and then go forward with it. And that happens in Zoom. Just to bring it back to your question, Fran, about Zoom, like when we were doing Tomato and then in uh, Survival's Insufficient, the series, you know, my company, Ego Actors, we produced 10 full-length plays, actually nine. One of them had short plays by the same author. Anyway, we found that there were times in Zoom that, oh my God, people froze up or the script just disappeared from the screen. All this stuff happened. And what we found out, it's like doing live theater in that respect. You're flying, you're out there, you're flying by the seat of your pants in the sense of, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? But there's a generosity that I find that audiences are coming to Zoom with. They're so starved for theater. They're so starved for stories other than these films on Netflix. Yeah, those are stories too, but they're so starved for this live theater, this live experience that when it does happen, it's okay. It's fine. They're generous. They're like, oh yeah, well, it's like being in a real theater. (laughs) That happens in theater. And there's also an intimacy that you can't get in live theater that you get on Zoom. It's very intimate. You're really there up close seeing this character. I'm enjoying it. I know my company, we're going to continue to somehow, I haven't figured it out yet. When we get live in the theater, we're going to also have a Zoom or some platform, live platform, because Zoom is so, it's an equalizer. Anybody can come into Zoom and see a show. Whether you, you you know, parents who can't afford the babysitter, people who can't because they're other able can't come to the theater uh, because of transportation or whatever can see it. I mean, I had people coming from all over the world seeing these shows. It was phenomenal. And artists are working cross-culturally. I think it's a really good thing. You're so right. I mean, just the last time we worked together, Joan, with uh, Julia's, Julia Pascal's mm-hmm. uh, Play Nobody's Perfect. Everybody's from London. Everybody was from London. And we had to work out auditions because there was a six-hour difference. But I have to tell you, I was so thrilled to be part of that production. It just, like you said, this would have never happened for me as an actor. I am getting feedback after I do a show from somebody from South Africa contacted me. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is a whole different venue. And to your point, I'm, I'm going to put this to both of you. I just want to know, the play takes place after the pandemic. And it's looking at the possibilities after this, what's going to be the new, what's going to be the new normal for directors, for theaters, for playwrights? Well, I, I think that, as Joan says, people are starved for entertainment. So, but the question is going to be safety protocols. The question is going to be for everyone, not the audience, the actors, everyone. There's going to be financial constraints. Are there people outside shopping to reinvest in Broadway again? Okay, but again, as Joan said, and I'm a, I have this all, the, the similar perspective. I like the equalizer of Zoom, and I like that it's anti elitist. And everyone, you know, a Broadway production or off off Broadway, it's all the same on Zoom. And there's a beauty to it. And I think you get even closer to the heart and soul of theater. And you see what it's really about. It's really about that, as Joan says, the intimacy of the actors and the story. And I think, I don't think Zoom's going to go away. And I think perhaps even streaming 
might surface as a bridge before we get back to live theater again. Wow, there you go. There's you know, a hole. Wonderful. That would, you know, you want to talk about like a theater company like um, Ego Actus, like, like Joan and Bruce Kramer's, you know, can you do rent a theater for one night, tape that show, and then have the rights to show it over a certain period of time? I know it's all with unions and blah, blah, blah. And obviously, there's legal issues, but that's something. And then could you charge a small fee? Okay, would people, people might pay, not something ridiculous like $250 on Broadway. That might be a model to move things forward and keep theaters alive because you'd have to pay them a little rent. I don't know. I'm just thinking aloud now, but. You know what, Gary, you're, you are so on point because I just got a voicemail message on yesterday from the Roundabout Theater. I'm a huge fan of their work of their season and they are reinventing themselves. They are starting a whole new subscription plan to to invite past audiences, but also to include them in the process. We're gonna try this out. This is what we're gonna do. Let's try it. No. And you know, Joan, yeah, that's that's what you do as a director, which is what I was like seeing. I'm like, oh my God, that's exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because indie theater, which is the arena that I play in, that I create and, and make theater in, and indie theater is very different than commercial theater. It's different in, in the sense that we have, uh, our budgets are different and our funding is different. And there's less gatekeepers, there's less elitism to indie theater. So indie theater has been doing this all along. Not necessarily with Zoom, but it's been available. The downtown theater scene has been available because the seats are, are less expensive. Our materials aren't as expensive, uh, though we do make some really incredible work. But I think that the commercial theater can really learn from places like Theater for a New City, which is where Cookie was supposed to go up on March 26th. 2020. And it's going to go up in 2021. We think in the fall, it depends on the vaccine and what's happening. But the model there is making the work accessible. And that's what Theater for a New City does. They make the work accessible for everybody who wants to come to see it, regardless of what your pocketbook, your bank account is. And what's really beautiful about indie theater is that a lot of the artists that start out there, like like Sam Shepard started out in, in indie theater. Actually, La Mama, you know, Ellen Stewart's La Mama. That's where Sam Shepard started at. That's where a lot of the, the amazing artists that are now in the commercial theater. So they're learning from us, the commercial theater. They're learning how can we do this without all the frou-frou. Cookie is not just a black box you know, show. It has a set. It has real specific designs. The set is by Mark McConti. Janet Murren is doing the, the costumes. Bruce Kramer is doing the lighting. I mean, we have really design elements going on. And you also have cast some amazing actors. Oh, oh my goodness. The actors are phenomenal. Yeah. Jen Peralta was our casting director. So we use all the elements that commercial theater uses, but we do it in such a way where it's not huge and overwhelming. It's very down to earth. It's and it very keeps, it, keeps it in your living room, you know, so to speak. So to speak. Liter and literally, yes. with Zoom, you know. You, you can do that. You have to get dressed up. You don't have to wear makeup. You can be pajamas. I think after this, I think it's going to be like the roaring 20s after the, you know, the depression. <laughs> People are going to wear glitz and glamour all Absolutely. the time. 
<laughs> I'm getting you know, my ritzy, uh, my ritzy pantsuit going on here. <laughs> with all of this that's going on in the present, we can't ignore the fact what happened on January 6th. No, we can't. And how do we cope? How do we continue to create? It's like we've got this huge elephant in the room that we call the, the United States of America. And I'd love to answer this, Fran. Go. I think if us artists don't create, they're going to win. We have to make sure our voices are heard. And by them shutting us down and not, and us not hearing, us not being able to have our voices heard, not if, if Gary didn't write his play, he would be acquiescing to them. He would be saying, okay, you win. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to write my plays. You not acting, they're winning. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to let them win. I'm going to make sure my voice and all the artists that I work with are heard. However, I can do that. How about you, Gary? Well, I think it's an interesting point because you say something politically, but as Joan said in the beginning, it's about people. And so you want to mirror what's going on, but you also have to have the long view. And I don't want to be insensitive and discount what has happened but I, I'm a historic a history buff. So I, you know, I look at where we've come and this is not the first time that we've we had something called a civil war. So, you know, in defense of slavery and something as heinous as that. So I think if you keep your voice and your art to topics through the eyes of people, that's where you win ultimately, because you're not making speeches. It's easy to make a speech. You can make your character could make a speech. There's a couple speeches in there, but it's not contemporary politics to be in timeless. I don't want to make it sound like that, but you need something that in 10 years people will look at and say, well, that still resonates. It's still about, as in the case of Cookie, it's still about a conservative African-American man and a 1960s style Jewish communist who should have nothing in common, but at the end of the day, they realize they do without being saccharine. There are still caricatures, as Joan will vouch, that don't go away. And perceptions that are still rooted a little bit, but at least they look at each other as people and helping each other. And that's I think that that's ultimately more important. You know, ultimately, Fran, also, I believe we're broken. I believe everybody is broken in some way. Or you could look at it more like everybody has a story to tell. The United States right now is broken. You know, there's cracks in us and they're really big and huge. And I, I also believe in this thing called kintsuki, which is a Japanese method of actually taking a pottery that breaks. And instead of throwing away the pieces, you take the pieces, you put them back together and you put them back together with gold, gold glue, right? So the original object is even more beautiful than it was before it was broken. Okay. And I actually am optimistic. I think America, I think the United States is going to be even more beautiful after this. Okay. I think we're going to look at, and we already are, we're looking at our brokenness and we're saying, hey, we're broken. We need to fix this. Now, where that glue comes from, what color it is, I, I hope it's gold. Maybe it'll be silver. Maybe it'll be bronze. But I really, really believe this with my heart and soul that we're going to be even more beautiful after this. Now you're making me cry. Oh, good. <laughs> I believe in that. And I think that's the core that I 
have lived by, you know, my entire life as a teacher for 30 years, as a college professor, as the director of instruction for young playwriting, I have seen, I have witnessed how playwriting in particular has healed so many people because they have, have been given the opportunity to express themselves on the page and to speak and to explore the limitations of what we are experiencing today. What's your driving core to create and to heal? I love that image, Joan, of the the pottery. That image just represents everything about what we are exploring. How do you mold that idea, Gary, as a playwright? Well, you want to keep it on a very small level, actually. You know, I've made one person think or one person laugh or brought a tear to their eyes. I'm happy. Simple as that. If you just touch the the basic human emotions, that's a great start. I have two answers to your question, Brandon. It's a multi-layered question. Like yourself, I used to be an arts educator in the New York City public schools through Henry Street Settlement, Theater for a New City, Theater for a New Audience, all different organizations. And I would go in and see kids who were not being validated who they were and due to a lot of reasons why and creating theater with them, it really helped them to blossom and be who they were because their voices were honored. That's the first thing that I, I feel that art is really important, you know, on the educational level. For me personally, I had a horrible thing happen to me when I was a kid and I wrote a one woman show about it, almost 13, and I got to perform and I got to write it. And it really helped me to to say, it's okay. This happened to you. Now let's move on. Let's acknowledge it. And I think that happens in plays where we, again, we hold this mirror up to our audience, up to our society and say, look, this is going on. Look at it. Let's discuss it. Let's have a conversation about it. I know all of the the plays that I produce with my company, Eco Actors, what we do is we always have talkbacks afterwards. We bring in people who who are very expert in the subject that we're we're actually exploring. So it's an exploring. Not only do we explore with the artists involved, but we explore with our audience. We say, look, come, come here, hang out with me, hear this story, see this story, live this story feel this story and let's talk about it. And ultimately what happens, I think it it makes people understand on a very deep level. It creates mindfulness. It's like I'm here now in this moment talking to Fran and Gary and everybody else here, right? But I'm mindful of me being here in the now. History is important. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm I'm an incredible uh, history buff. My undergraduate degree is in American history. But it's about here and now in this moment. And it's about understanding what's going on now. How can we as a people heal? And I actually think, and I know people who have seen a little bit of Gary's play, A Black and White Cookie, about this rift between the Jews and the Blacks, right? And how that happened. Because ultimately they they were always helping each other. (laughs) Now there's this real rift going on, right? People who have seen it or have heard it are like, wow, that's a really interesting take on this. I I never really thought of it that way. I never thought an African-American can be a Republican. I never thought that this Jewish guy can be homeless. You know, it's so all these conceptions or these stereotypes of what people are, are taken apart 
They're ripped apart and they're delved into in Gary's play. And I love working on that. That's what I love working on. I love like take getting to the deep, you know, the different levels and digging through it and saying, whoa, this is happening here. This is happening here. How can we bring that, that out? How can we make our audiences understand this and also make them, them grow by watching this? And the production of uh, Black and White Cookie is going to premiere on Thursday, January 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time as part of the Theater for a New City on the air series. And you're also going to have it on your Ego Actus website on Sunday, January 24th at 3 p.m. I'll include all of that information on the blog and encourage everyone to attend it. Just to close here, what is your, I mean, you've, you've kind of already talked about it. Where do we go from here, guys? You know, what's next? For, oh, good Lord. The theater? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can start with the theater with, with what's happening now in our country, in our nation. I think we have to keep moving and entertaining people. Let's, let's remember the role the theater played in England when during the London Blitz, pretty grim times, a Luftwaffe bombing the hell out of London, it didn't look good for the good guys. And yet theater reopened. First they closed it and the people demanded that theater resume. And even during the bombing raids, they would signal from the stage by either an announcement or a light that to go down to the shelter and the preponderance of the audience said, never mind, carry on. And they continued watching. So there's, a, there's also the element of a common uh, a sharing, but also entertainment, escaping. There's nothing wrong with that. I think we have to continue to have community. We have to continue to gather, whether it's in person or on Zoom, and we have to share. We have to share our hopes, our dreams, our anxieties, and realize that we're all human. We all have human traits and frailties and, and have conversations. Keep on talking. The polarization is here because people aren't talking to each other. That's a big part of it. It's also here because our country is based on racism and we got to knock that down. We got to say, no, this is not here in 2021. In other words, it is here, but we have to say, we will not permit this anymore. This is not America that we want to live in. And we're not trying to quell the voices that we may or may not agree with. What we want to do, like you said, that community idea, we want to get to like a grassroots effort and just talk to each other. Get in a room, like you said, let's just get in a room and let's talk and communicate and realize, you know, as you said in the very, very beginning, is that we need to get to the core of our humanity. And we're preaching to the choir here, but we know what better way to reach to our humanity. Hey, Fran, the choir gets shit done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that it does. Thank you, Joan and Gary, for coming to, to talk with me today. I am just always so inspired. I wish you the very best with this play and look forward to working with both of you again. Hint, hint, right apart for me. Uh, <laughs> oh, always the actor. <laughs>
we, you know, we have this agenda. I need to channel this through. But um, the reason why is I have such such respect for for the two of you, and we are definitely on the same page. And I'm going to take that image with me of that broken piece of pottery. Thanks, Joan. And Gary, so keep writing. Thank you. I will. Thank you. <laughs> Love you too. Bye bye. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by Marsh Hair Media and recorded at Wheat Sheet Studio Productions. Mm-hmm.